Hello, everyone. This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to my podcast. I have a very interesting guest today. It's actually a guest that I heard speak at the Trump rally in Miami a few weeks ago when President Trump announced his coalition of evangelicals for Trump. And she has such an impressive story that he actually brought her up to the podium. And afterwards, I went up and introduced myself and said, would you do a podcast? So I'm very glad today to have evangelist Angel Belcher from the Panhandle of Florida, who did so much to help people after Hurricane Michael a year or so ago that it got the President of the United States attention. So welcome to you, Angel. Thank you for taking time to do my podcast and tell me how in the world did you connect with the President of the United States? I connected with the President through the governor, the governor's wife. She had given me a gold medal and it was on the media and it was in the papers in some kind of way. Washington got a hold of it, and he called the governor's office and said, hey, I got to have her here for the 4th of July to honor her. And that's how we met. Well, that doesn't happen very often. So you went to that, and then how did he invite you to the rally in Miami and actually ask you to get up and speak? Well, Brittany and Macy from the um, White House, they stay in touch. We talk just about every week. And I'll, you know, talk to the president through them or I know he's busy a lot. So sometimes I don't get to talk to him. And she asked me, she was like, evangelist, I forgot that you're an evangelist. Would you love to go to Miami and speak? And I was like, it would be my honor. I would love to. And that's how it happened. Why don't you tell my listeners what I heard this incredible story about, you know, what you did after Hurricane Michael to help people that actually got this attention by the president? Well, when the hurricane came, a lot of the surrounding small counties were without water. They were without light, some of them for months, some of them for weeks. And so um, I just got those generators and... um, got them to go in and pull out the grills and got the crop pots and just started setting up and parking lots and started serving people. And it's like God had just multiplied because I couldn't believe that we had, we had a sign-in sheet because I wanted to see just how many people we were feeding. Because my husband always asked me, where's this money going you keep asking me for, for this food? And I was like, I'm going to start getting people to sign. And so we did 470 people and that one feeding that day but it continued on each day we we were getting uh, more then we get less and then we went on to feeding the um, no one was thinking about the National Guard from Miami had came down to give out food and they were eating the MREs so I asked the head colonel if I could feed them every day and he gave me that privilege of doing that also And what really touched my heart is when they got ready to leave to go further down to Mexico Beach. Uh, After being here a couple of months, he tore his patch off of his uniform and he gave it to me and he gave me a hug and kiss. And he said that you are now a part of us. You are one of our troops. Boy, that's very special. But you are basically just a private citizen helping people. I mean, you don't have... At least at the time, you didn't have a big ministry raising lots of money for this. How in the world did you do it as a private individual, and what motivated you? I still don't have money. I strictly work off of donations 
what money my husband gives me. I learn how to scratch it, you know. Like, I always do biscuits. They call me the biscuit lady because I can take one bag of flour, which is like a dollar forty-seven, and I can take I let one bag of flour and make buttermilk biscuits, and I can get a good 120, and that's 120 people can be fed a biscuit <laughs> out of one bag of flour. So I learned how to, you know, from my mom, how to scratch things. And then I also, for money, I would sell cakes and pies. I do that on the side to make money. And then I'll take the money that I make and I'll go and buy food to put in my office, which I turned into a food bank. Wow. You know, you told about how the man, you said, you know, took off his uniform or something and, you know, to kind of uh, include you. That's his patch. Oh, I see. And what other reactions have you gotten and what people have come alongside you to help you with this ministry of helping the poor, and especially in the rebuilding process after Hurricane Michael? When we were in Washington, D.C., President Trump and Brittany and Missy, they got with Samaritan Purse, which is Franklin Graham, and they didn't tell me about it. And when I came back home about three days later, I had a phone call, and it was like, we decided to not just show up because you may not be there. So we decided to call and let you know that we're going to come and we're going to take care of that roof that's falling in, the mold. We had mold real bad and the mold, and we're going to take care of it for you. And I was just, I just fell to the ground and just gave God the glory. I was so shocked. I just couldn't believe it. How many people do you think you've been able to help? And now all these months after Hurricane Michael, Are things pretty back to normal, or are there still a lot of people that need your help? There's still a lot of people that need my help. Right now, I'm working more in the Panama City area now. There's still people down there that's living in tents, living outside. Really? After all these months, why would they be in tents? Why wouldn't they have gotten at least a trailer? Doesn't FEMA give people trailers? You cannot take care of all those people. It's so many. Panama City is a big city, and what they're trying to do is the projects, uh, Massaline projects, and it's about, I think I count like six of them. They're sitting there damaged, and they could hold thousands and thousands of people. So I just saw on the news the other day that they're getting ready to start working on them. So that's going to help get these people off the streets. I want to ask you a question. I hope it's not too controversial. Uh, Of course, I heard you speak in Miami, and it's very obvious when you walk to the podium that you're an African-American. That's not necessarily clear on a podcast where people can't see you, but I'm just interested in what kind of feedback you got because, you know, what you hear in the news is that most African-Americans do not support President Trump, yet not only were you supporting him, but you were standing on the same stage with him that was being filmed live by all these media from across America. So what did people say to you? I'm just curious, you know, both positive and negative. Well, my dad, my adopted dad, Captain Richard, when I came back and I suppose been strong because that's the type of person that I am. But my son came to me and he said, Mom, look at this. These are people that you have taken over to your office and given them clothes, given them food, and they're on here saying, I hope you and Trump die. F you, F Trump, y'all go to hell. That just hurt me. It, it, it was like a knife just went through my back. 
I was so hurt. All I can do is just cry. And I shut down for about four days. And I have a war room. I went in my war room, and I was praying to God. God spoke to me, and he said, what makes you think that you should be exempt? They talked about me. What makes you exempt? And he was like, I want you to get up. Hold your head up high. You said you wanted to be a vessel. I need you. I want to use you. And that's what I did. I got up and I started talking to my dad. And I was like, Dad, what do I need to do? And he told me, he was like, I'm going to send you something. And he sent me about probably about a about hundred and something emails and stuff off spam. And people were saying, I thank God for listening to you in Miami. You touched my heart. Your message was powerful. You're awesome. And then he was like, how many bad complaints did you have? How many ugly things did you read? I said, about nine. He said, what's nine compared to over 80-something thousand I'm looking at? I'm good. Wow. He said, so take the good and run with it and ignore the haters. Why do you think there's so much hatred toward Donald Trump? You know, when I read the statistics, and of course people have reported that the unemployment rate for all Americans is down, but especially among African Americans and Hispanics, and they're doing specific things to create opportunity zones in inner cities. Dr. Ben Carson, who's the head of housing and urban development, is trying to improve the infrastructure. I mean, there's just so many accomplishments, yet there's hatred. I mean, you just said it with your own mouth. They use profanity against him and against you. For what? What do you think is fueling that? They they were saying all kinds of terrible things. And he was not even up on me. And they even said one thing about he was behind me doing stuff. And that's when I really had to start praying. But to me, my mom, my biological mother, she passed away. She had heart problems all her life, and I didn't know it. But she worked. And I said to myself, if my mom can work sick, these people that's around here, that's receiving benefits, that's looking to be on, you know, handouts, hoods, food stamps, go get a job, go to work. All my life, I worked two jobs because I wanted to have something. And I wanted my kids, I wanted to instill them in them to teach them to work. That if you want something, you go get it. You don't go steal it. You don't go and take it. You go work for it. And while people hating Donald Trump, to me, I believe that God put Donald Trump there for a reason. And why does that reason? I believe the reason that he put him there is because he had things that needed to be done, things that needed to be turned around for the United States of America, and that if there would have been someone else, that they would not have been strong enough. A lot of people don't like Donald Trump because he's a strong man. And he tells you like it is, and nothing seems to faze him. You're right about that. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, most leaders, myself included, would probably just, you know, crumble to have that kind of assault every single day. Exactly. Exactly. And I pray for him every day. And while I was praying for him, God showed me that he was getting upset and that 
he was going through this impeachment thing. He was being accused of things that wasn't happening, just like when he was honoring me the 4th of July. I, I mean, my phone go off like all day today. It was showing the impeachment from yesterday and different things and different news reports will come on. Well, it was the same way that way. My phone went off and it was said he had just did something. And I said that in my speech. And I'm looking right at him. He was standing up on the stage waving. Then he had his wife by her hand, and they were leaving to go get in the car, and it went off again. And that's when God spoke to me and said, I want you to pray for the president, but I want you to pray for the people that's on the attack of him. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and we have to pray against that. Absolutely. I actually did a media interview earlier today for my book, and I actually quoted that same scripture. You know, it is a spiritual attack against him. In fact, if I could use that to just segue to talk about my new book, God, Trump, and the 2020 election a little bit. You know, I wanted to interview you because your story is so interesting and because I have so much respect for somebody who can help so many people on a shoestring budget like you were describing and someone that the president had enough confidence in to honor as he has. I wanted to know your story. But when I met you in Miami, I gave you a copy of my book. And one of the chapters in the book, in fact, the third chapter, is called Black Americans, Democrats, and Trump. And I try to analyze why is it that the Democratic Party tends to take the African-American vote for granted and African-Americans vote overwhelmingly for the Democrat, whoever it is, in spite of the history of the Democratic Party having to do with race relations going all the way back to a number of their very important founders, including Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson, were slave owners, it was the Democrats who did not want to end slavery. That was ended by the Republicans, Abraham Lincoln. Exactly. You know, in the 1800s, I think probably 100% of the African-American, you know, most of them freed slaves or their children, of course, were Republican. And it didn't start to change until probably the Great Depression. The Democrats started to get more votes. But even during that era, it was the Democrats in the South that passed all the Jim Crow laws to enforce segregation, to take away the rights that had been put in the Constitution, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. And I tried to sort of unpack that. And as we were talking before the podcast started, you said you had had a chance to look at it. I'm just interested in you kind of explaining to my listeners any insights that you may have gotten from the book or what your thoughts are on this entire issue. Or, or maybe you could give your opinion of how Donald Trump could kind of win these people over. I just think that it's going to take probably different people of color. And I'm hoping that some people that saw us together and heard me speak, they were like, if you can stand up there and you as an evangelist, I mean, you even hugged him and looked like he kissed you on your jaw and he said something in your ear. I said he did. And it was like, wow, we can't believe this. And I was like, the president is a good person. I've never had a problem with him, never disrespecting me, never being out of line. I have more problems from other people of color doing it. That's why I'm saying, I mean, it doesn't matter what color you are. Even if the president was black or Hispanic, it would still be a problem. And he would still be going through them fighting him on trying to make things better. It's just the enemy. And like I say, he has a job, and he's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. 
And the Christian community must rise up. We have power in the name of Jesus to come against these principalities and powers. And of course, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So I just really appreciate so much your insight. I appreciate so much what you're doing and your boldness in the face of criticism to stand up there and to tell your story and it's such an encouragement to so many. I caught a lot, of, like I say, a lot of badness when I got back from it. I was even told that I wasn't welcome to get any more food from the off of the food truck anymore. So I'm filling out an application to try and get my own food truck. A couple people that were supporting me with donations stopped. So I don't have um, donations coming in anymore. But... I'm the type of person that have faith in God. And God said, you have because you ask not. And he will open the door. The money that I need to continue to take care of the food bank and people, it will come in. It will happen because I have faith. Amen. And and that is so admirable. And as we wrap this up, why don't you tell my listeners how they can reach you Uh, maybe a website or people who want to support you. Tell a little bit about your ministry and where they can send you money. My ministry is called Youth in Action with a Purpose. I've been around for 30 years now with it. Uh, When the storm came, I started a second one called This Too Shall Pass. And what I do is I took my office and I've turned it into a food bank. Well, everybody knows that food banks are only open a couple hours. Well, my food bank is different, and usually they're open for, like, you know, maybe one day out of the week. My food bank is open any day. A person can come and knock on the door at night and say, I don't have money. My baby's out of diapers. Can you please help me? And I'll go right next door and open up and let them have what they need. And, I mean, there's clothing there. There's food there. And I'm trying to even put a shower because some of them, you know, they're living in tents. And they need baths. And if, you know, the Lord lays on your heart and you feel that you want to help and support, my address is P.O. Box 513, Chipley, Florida, 32428. I appreciate all the prayers and support because, like I say, I'm, I'm having to be strong and I'm having to stand. And I'm not backing down. I love my president and I think he's doing a good job. Amen. And there's so much more we could talk about, but we need to leave it there. And thank you for taking time to be on my podcast today. God bless you and your work. You're so welcome. God bless you too. And thank you to my listeners. Tune in tomorrow for another podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Stephen Strang. God bless you.